Isn't he a good, good father? He really is. Well, the few, the proud, the New Englanders, right? The snow pending. So I don't talk too much, so we'll see what happens here. But um, for those of you who have been around a while, know I'm probably a guy who likes to be behind the scenes most of the time, and I'm okay with that. So um, a few months ago, Pastor John asked me to do announcements on a Sunday, and uh, obviously with all due respect to Sunday services, um, I wanted to, um, what did I want to do? I wanted to uh, have a very unconventional manner of the way I presented the announcements in hopes that they would never ask me to speak up here again. So I don't know what happened. Um, but all kidding aside, um, let's uh, begin in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this gift that you've given us, which is called today. Lord, we're so grateful for you and how much you love us. Lord, and the great opportunity we just had to enter into worship and come closer to you in your presence, and again, understanding and discovering just how much you love us. Let the rest of this evening be pleasure in your eyes as well, too. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted to talk about a, um, an element in our lives um, that some of us deal with daily, some of us might deal with it off and on in our lives, um, and it tend, can tend to be getting, get very underrated at times, um, and it's called distractions. It comes in many shapes and sizes, and tonight we wanted to title it, or I wanted to, it was called Dissecting Distractions. I don't have a degree in it, but we're going to try and dissect tonight. Um, and really what distractions are, and uh, get into some of the different levels of distractions, and that really, how much they can really influence our life at the same time. And then towards the end, I really want to get into, um, because there's so many distractions in our lives, they must be distracting us from something, right? And certainly us as Christians, there's a lot to be distracted from, as we know. So I do want to have a little disclaimer tonight. Um, I do, uh, if I kind of come out as a condescending tone at some point, uh, don't take it personal. I'm taking it personal because it's probably a distraction I've either conquered in my life or I'm in the process of conquering. How many know as we're Christians, um, every day God is working in us so he can begin to work through us, right? So we're sometimes always works in progress. Uh, I do want to give an example of a, uh, a distraction that started very early in my life um, when I was a young lad, probably about eight or nine years old. And uh, this distraction, um, at least my siblings would tell me, would almost hypnotize me when I would hear this. Um, and it was the ice cream man. It was. So we lived on a... Um, a, uh, like an open cul-de-sac, and our house is on a peninsula, so we're kind of in the middle. So the road would go in front of us and around the back. And um, the ice cream man never really came when I had nothing going on. It usually came strategically during dinner time, right? So uh, my loving parents made sure I wanted to eat my dinner, but when that third bell came around with that ice cream man, I really was distracted and, and, and really um, 
wanted to run out the door and trade my Brussels sprouts for a rocket pop or whatever at the time. So, and it got pretty bad. Um, at one point, I think my dad, my loving dad, had to sit on me at one point. Um, and what was even worse, as I just mentioned, because we were living on a, uh, a cul-de-sac in the peninsula, is as the ice cream truck would crawl through the neighborhood, I would get to hear it in the front, on the side, and in the back, as my dad would be telling me I couldn't leave for dinner. So um, the good thing is, you know, over time I was able to uh, not be affected as much on... How are you, Rich? Not be affected as much in my distraction. And I do want to, you know, obviously thank my loving wife. I think the first two years of marriage, I finally got rid of my distraction with an ice cream man. That's a joke, by the way. So, but anyhow, so I really say to say this, we have a lot of, uh, you know, distractions in our lives. Some are louder, like an ice cream, cream truck. Some are very quiet, but maybe giving the same effect in our lives and really paralyzing us for doing something that God wants us to do. So, um, to sound a little bit more authoritative, I want to throw out some definitions of distractions. So, the Webster Dictionary of Distraction is an object that directs one's attention away from something else, leading to mental confusion. So, we know who the author of confusion is. Um, To get into some more definitions, we talk about stages of distractions and degrees of distractions. Um, In stages of distraction, it starts as an initial small element in one's life, excuse me, not too entertaining, uh, but but can begin to bring more attention to the element and become more familiar with it in the final stage of that element and possibly uh, become a truth in one's life and one's resources. A degree of distractions, this gets a little deeper, so I'll I'll talk a little slow. It's an initial attention taker, allured with instant resolve, but carrying a distant understanding of residual effects, such as practices, patterns, and habits that are under false-weighted sense of obligation or belief. Almost done. The degree of distractions can change more likely when there are two powerful components missing in your life. Do we know what they are? Excuse me, I blow my nose. Peace and patience. So that's something to really meditate on. So I like to start and have a two-way conversation tonight a little bit. Hence me being on the floor here. I have better access to you guys. But I just want you to, as I put the mic in your face, just give me one word that comes to mind as a distraction. Now, obviously, the word is not something you've experienced personally, but a friend or a relative. So let's make that disclaimer. Anybody? A distraction. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Phone? Money? Money? TV, media. What was that? Boys. Thank you, Chris. Yes, please. Yes. One more. Yes, sir. Kids. Oh, yeah, especially early parenting, right? So these are all good. I do have a ground zero of a scripture tonight, so we will be reading some scripture tonight. But these are all good distractions. Uh, And if you want to turn to Romans 12, 
Now, typically in Romans 12, uh, we've learned in these scriptures that, um, and it's very familiar to us about being the body of Christ, and we all have different functions in the body of Christ. Uh, But the first three scriptures I really want to focus on, because I really think it's Paul is setting up the stage here that in life, when we get distractions, we sometimes have to come back to the basis of what it means to being a Christian and what our simple responsibility is as a Christian. So I just want to read these real quick and I'll break them up. So it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So right there, if we put these into index cards, and believe me, in college and high school, I needed as many index cards as I could get to remind me of certain things. So obviously in this first index card, we could write down our responsibility is to know that our body is the temple and it is a living sacrifice. Let's go to verse 2. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transferred by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now the second index card I would write down is we are responsible for our what? Our mind, right? Let's go to verse 3. For I say, though the excuse me, for I say, through the grace given to me, Lord knows we need grace, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. So on a third index card, sometimes this can be the most challenging, but our responsibility as Christians is in how we relate to one another. Because if I begin to think highlier than you, that doesn't work out too well, right? So on index number three, it's really how we relate to one another. So, and that's what I think Paul is talking about, is like if we get so distracted in life, because life gets crazy, life gets busy, we live a busy life because people create us to be busy, then we need to go back to these three elements, you know, what God is calling us to do and be responsible to do. So why I'm bringing this up is obviously Satan, you know, is aware of these elements, and if he can get to you distracted in these three areas, he's got you pretty good. I mean, we all know the scripture that Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he may destroy. But he's also crafty and he does work smart. He just has to distract you in many times. That's it. And then he lets you do the rest. Sometimes we're our worst enemies. So distractions, I want to talk a little bit more and break it down in these three indexed areas of the physical body, um, mind, thank you, and how we relate to one another. So if we just take maybe two physical sensory organs in our body, which would be sight and hearing, we can work with that. I know there's many more. Um, Obviously, if we talk about the eyes first, if we talk about the eyes, 
and distractions with the eyes, what word pops in everybody's mind, hopefully? Thank you, Pastor Ray. Lust. Obviously, when we think of lust right away, we think is in a sexual context of being distracted by somebody of the opposite sex or whatever. But lust comes out in different areas, too, in our lives. It also comes out in, you know, even lusting over people who may be in power or supposedly have a perfect life. You know, certainly in this self-image age, we all are craving for that type of image that's out there. Um, lust in objects, cars, automobiles, things like that. And as we know, is if the degrees of those distractions can continue to grow and get never dealt with, those can turn into idolatry things at some point. And what we think idolatry is really perverse worship in some cases. So it's important to know what we're looking at most of the time. Um, John, First John 2.16 I wanted to read in there. Uh, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, if not of the Father, but of this world. So even in there, it's talking about the eyes and the flesh. We don't need to get, get distracted. Let's also read from Matthew 14.25. This is a popular verse, but it's certainly from the eyes perspective. There was a distraction with Peter. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So everything sounds good right now. Keep going. But when he saw the wind, again, saw the wind, there's his distraction, was boisterous. He was afraid and began to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. So we see that distraction was the wind. Notice the distraction was not the water. <laughs> I mean, Jesus was standing on the water, which is, that's a whole other message. So that really wasn't his distraction, the water. But the wind the distractions of the sight there and what he saw. We can't forget not to talk about when we talk about sight and distractions, but talk about food, right? Things are packaged well that make the craving. Some things you can look at and your salivation glands already start and it's just on the TV. Krispy Kreme donuts. I know there's probably somebody saying out there, wait a minute, I drove 20 minutes tonight, I may hit a snowstorm on the way back, and you're telling me I already, something I already know, that a donut is a distraction. Hang on, a little later I'm going to talk about self-righteousness. So. But, um, but food, it really is, it's a distraction, certain things. 
Let's go over a few more distractions that we can have come into us through the eyes. How about social media? It does some good things here and there, but if you let it go, I notice the youth there, the youth, D2L. If you let it go, and that news feed just keeps going, and that thumb keeps going, and it keeps going, and, it, and it's something you have to see every day, over time that can be intoxicating. And that can be a distraction, because the more time you're on that is really the less time, less time you're living around who's around you. So you need to be careful of how long you keep that thumb going on that news feed. And the, and the bad thing is we're not usually aware of it because it's a degree of distraction that continues to grow. But again, there is some good things on social media, but you've got to be careful and discipline yourself on that. How about the media and marketing industry? They've learned to um, capitalize well on our senses and how to create and manipulate our distractions. I mean, just look at beer commercials, Right? So you have a guy, follow my lead here, you have a guy running into an apartment, ripping off his tie, sitting on the couch with his buddy, watching a game, and the guy, and the guy who just ran in said, oh man, I just came back from work. Like it was a heroic effort or anything. You know, you went to work, oh my gosh. Um, oh well, well you deserve a beer today, so... I mean, those are distractions. Those are very simple distractions that they've manipulated to create a need that we need something like that. Or how about the other part of some of the alcohol commercials that, you know, you can socialize a lot better with a Budweiser in your hand. <laughs> You'll be able to feel more confident and things like that. These are simple distractions. Because as we know, if you let those type of things go, they can turn into abuse someday. And that's at a higher level that causes a lot of collateral damage that initially you never wanted to get, in, you know, you never predicted. How about the com- perfume industry and their commercials? I don't understand them. It's very weird. It's like this abstract commercial of either a model or some celebrity running through a field or in a swimming pool. doesn't make any sense, but yet somebody will run into Macy's and pay $100 for this scent. You know, again, these are distractions. And that distraction is if I buy the perfume, I'm going to either smell like that person and feel more confident. I mean, I, I just don't understand. But these are physical distractions that we can get. Um, let's t- go into Mark 4, 35 through 41. Again, still on these physical senses that can allow distractions to come into our life. So Mark 4, 35-41. Thank you. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. And keep going. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. So this is Jesus and the disciples crossing the water. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filled. So obviously they're in the storm. But he was in the stern, meaning Jesus, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him up and said to him, 
Teacher, you do not care that we are perishing? Let me stop right there. So these disciples have already given a prognosis of their lifespan, obviously. Seriously. Over some waves, physical ailments that are distracting them. They're already concerned with worry and fear that they're going to perish. Continue. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So it's a big, I mean, it's, a, it's again an example of distractions and even getting into further distractions of where it can lead to of the fear and, as I mentioned, the prognosis of them sinking. Let's talk about um, moving into hearing. That's certainly another sensor we have on, in our head, which is two, hopefully, right? Uh, for me, I had, um, you know, I've always been a, a lover of music and still am. Um, I did have a mullet growing up, so I was in my heavy metal days and all that stuff. Um, but some of the, that music, once I began to follow Christ, did not line up with the Word. So I had to make a decision. Um, But very easily, as we know with music, music is a very powerful tool. I mean, look, Satan thought he was so powerful he could overtake God, and that was pretty much because he was leading a very powerful tool called music. So, But music can be very manipulative. If you have an artist um, or a musician singing about something, um, unintentionally they may even insulate their attitude in the song. So if we continue over time to listen to one song, I think one of my songs growing up, and young people, I'm outdating myself here, but I think it was Beck called, I'm a loser baby, why don't you kill me? So if I listen to that over and over again, I mean, those are huge distractions. But we qualify it under the name of artistry sometimes. But Satan's very good to manipulate that. But those are hearing distractions because eventually you'll believe what you're hearing. Let's move to physical distractions. What I mean by that is simply whether you're a workaholic or just have this sense of pressure in your life that you always have to be ahead of the game or just pressure of making everything perfect. That can be a distraction too. Let's turn to, uh, we have a great example here. Let's turn to Luke 10. And we'll read from verse 38 to 42. So this is a story about, and we know this, Martha and Mary, <laughs> the two M's. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, meaning Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. 
And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving as she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. I'm sure she said it that way too. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which is not to be taken away from her. So we obviously see here that Martha was succumbed to that distraction, that pressure in life to prepare Jesus and his dinner, her being there. Excuse me, him being there. And Mary, on the other side of the coin, was not as much distracted in that area and really knew where the true value was in that moment, by all means, in being with Jesus. So how does that translate to our everyday life? Obviously, Jesus is not coming to dinner tomorrow night physically, but you know, back to what I said, we can really create through distraction these false pressures of having to try and make everything perfect. And that can cause exhaustion, mental exhaustion and certainly physical exhaustion. Let's read Matthew 11:28 through 30. This kind of ties it in. Because God does not really need us to work for perfection for Him to be a host in our heart at all. So, Matthew 11, 28. Very familiar Scripture, but certainly a stress reliever. Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Something you certainly can rest in. Other physical distractions. Um, About two years ago, uh, I started... Don't worry, it has a happy ending. I had a uh, pain in my side, and it was going on for a few weeks. And I think out of week two, I went to see Dr. Google and started Googling away what this prognosis could be. And I think about 99% of my search results, because first thing I was like, is there any organs over here? You know, could anything be affected or anything? And I think there was, out of the certain percentage, there was a 1%, some guy in Minnesota had an extra kidney over here or something. But really, there's nothing over here that I should be too concerned about. But either way, my mind was running, and I could be that one guy that was in Wisconsin that maybe had a, another kidney. So I set an appointment with the doctor. Short ride to the doctor's office. Only 10 minutes, but it felt like a lifetime driving there. Had Caleb playing, trying to get all good distractions going. You know, um, Got into the doctor's office. And uh, asked me the normal doctor routines, like, anything changed in your life? I said, no. He says, have you been busy? I said, I've been very busy lately. He's like, okay. He's like, well, over here there's not much of anything. I said, a guy in Wisconsin had an extra kidney and there's got to be something. He's like, no, no, stop Googling things. So he said, how many glass, I mean, what's your intake lately in the last few weeks of water? I said, maybe a glass a day. He's like, 
You're dehydrated. <laughs> he says, increase your intake in water, and that pain should go away in a week, or call me if it doesn't. So that 10-minute ride was 10 minutes home. It was beautiful. I was singing every K-Love song. But my point is really, you know, when we get these little pains or whatever, we instantly become a doctor in prognosing things, excuse me, diagnosing and then making a prognosis to it. Again, there are things that can be different. And, you know, the amazing thing about God is he has healing powers. If it's something more seriously, we can rest in that too. But my point is we can get instant distraction with some pains or anything like that. It really causes us to go off course and um, get into fear at some times of that. I mean, just look at the pharmaceutical drug companies in their 30-minute commercials. Within 30 minutes, they've diagnosed what I have on the couch and then they've made a prognosis of what's going to happen. I mean, these market com- marketing companies, again, are able to manufacture, manipulate, and make a distraction for us. And it's sad. Yes, it's very sad. And where do they find the guy to do all the little side effects? He says it so quickly, or she does. I mean, it's just amazing. Fast talkers, yes. All right, well, that was with physical distractions. I want to get into a bigger topic. Obviously, that index of number two in Romans 12, it's... Just to uh, go back real quickly, um, the second index card I'm calling is, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Excuse me. One of the main symptoms that I find in my life when my mind begins to go in places I don't need it to go and these distractions come in my mind is that I get this weird narrative voice going on. And the voice isn't like James Earl Jones' Darth Vader voice or or, um, or who's the guy who does plays God a lot? Morgan Freeman. It's my own voice that I'm hearing, which is even worse. But unfortunately, I think we believe ourselves more than anybody else at times. But these narrative voices can really pop up and be a huge distraction in your life. Uh, and most of, this, most, of the thing, most of the voices telling you is doing these reasonings of things that have nothing to do with line up, lining up with the Word of God. But the mind is a very powerful tool, as you know. I want to talk, I just want to go over again about that degree of distraction because it is a lengthy definition, but if you can absorb some of that, uh, and it is very deep. But again, back to that definition degree of distractions are an initial attention taker allured with instant resolve but carry a distant understanding of residual effect, such as practices, patterns, habits that are under a false weighted sense of obligation or belief. So as the degree gets bigger in your distractions, it becomes more truth to you is what it's saying. Distraction, the degrees of distraction can change for the worse when two powerful tools are absent. Again, peace and patience. You know, books are written on the mind a lot, even a lot of Christian books, The Battlefield of the Mind. It really determines a lot of what you're thinking and your actions. So we need to protect that a lot. Uh, but simple distractions that we may say from day to day that we just don't realize can evolve into greater issues in our lives. 
I mean, you've heard the normal saying, I can't do that. Okay. I mean, you've committed to not doing it, apparently, if you say that. Or even the, the very powerful word, I'll never be able to do it. Never is a powerful word because you're really taking a huge judgment call in your life and moving forward in things. So these are just simple phrases people can say every day. The other phrases you hear a lot, and again, they're honest phrases, but I can't believe it. All right, well, if you can't believe something now, imagine when you have to believe something of the Word of God. These are carryover words that can go from place to place and words of faith that can be negative. Um, In our mind, we find where worry can develop. Fear, right? Mainly everything's based in fear. Uh, Insecurity, anxiety, hardened of heart, unforgiveness, pride, and what Pastor Kurt talked about, I believe, a week ago, bitterness. And these are all distractions in our mind that pull us off course of things. But when it does get bad, the neat thing as believers and Christians is we can turn the light on with the Word of God, right? And expose distractions for what they are. Here's a, two quick scriptures, um, but if you can put them up. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. You guys still out there? Yeah? Okay, I'm sorry. Seeing if you're awake. All right, thank you. Casting, so here's... 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So when those distractions start coming, there's a good scripture to turn the light on. Let's go to Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there are any virtue, if any, if any there, anything else, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Again, turn the light on with the Word of God and put it against the distraction. I mean, we even learn in 1 Corinthians that we have what? The mind of Christ. So let's go to number three in our index card, which is is relating with one another. Back to Romans 12, verse 3 in that. For I say... Through the grace. So Paul already knew we needed grace in this area. Given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of yourselves more highlier than you ought to think, but to think soberly. This is really where the rubber meets the road. And it's also really where the enemy would love to distract you the most. Because Christianity, as we know, is about, it's the P word, people, right? It's not about ourselves, it's about people. So if Satan can distract us to not interact with people, he will distract us for not, for not being able to build the kingdom or be even a difference maker for Christ. 
Sounds exciting, guys, right? You guys are still with me? I'm sorry. <laughs> so with those index card, those indexes of those three areas, they're all building blocks. It, I, I find it hard to think that you can be an expert in this area to defend off distractions but not be able to live a healthy life. They're building blocks. That's why that first verse is with our physical body. It's our reasonable service. The second with our minds. So these are building blocks. So when you get to this stage, you should be pretty well versed in being able to not be affected by many distractions. Let's talk quickly about a few distractions when relating with people. How about somebody who's easily offended? Do they interact and play well with others? I mean, offense, the, the easy degree of offense may seem innocent that I'm offended, but if, if kept unchecked, that distraction grows further and further and, t- and turns into a defense. So you're automatically playing defense before somebody says, Hi, my name's Bob, you know, when you meet somebody. How about isolation? That's a huge... Oh, the enemy loves to isolate us, huh? To get in that mind that we're the only one going through something. So we are not able to communicate well and we hide from others. How about prejudices? It's huge. That might keep me from relating to you. That's a huge distraction. Gossiping? That can be fun at times with the right people, I guess, but <laughs> we're not called to gossip, right? That's a huge distraction. And then what I said earlier about the guy with the Krispy Kreme donut, self-righteousness, that's a danger, and it hides pretty well because sometimes it can hide in your humility. <laughs> you got to be careful. We can be so humble that we miss what's going on around us sometimes. And self-righteousness will stop me from saying, you know, I may not, God's calling me to help somebody, but, eh, you know, I just don't have the time. That's a wonderful excuse, isn't it? Again, thinking of ourselves more highly than others. It's that third thing. You know, these distractions can be get all bundled up as well, too. Or actually, we put them in nice suitcases, and we call it, and you've heard the phrase, sorry, I just have a lot of emotional baggage. Husbands and wife might discover it in the first hour on the honeymoon or years later, you know, that, hey, I'm sorry, I have baggage, which is really a bunch of distractions packed in the baggage. It really is. I mean, some of these, distra- these baggages are even well-made with custom wheels and custom handles so you can really bring it everywhere you want to go. But what I'm about to say, please don't think I'm insensitive because I'm talking to myself as, I, as much as I am to you. But for some of us, it's time to let the baggage go and leave the baggage claim area. Really. It really is. And it's a big step of faith, but we're going to find out in minutes why God is backing us up every step of the way, that we do not need to be in bondage with different things. So those are the three indexes. Those are pretty much the distractions the enemy wants to hit. Again, 
our physical body, our mind, our relationships with others and how we interact. In Romans 8, I would say is one of the pinnacle scriptures that Satan doesn't want us to digest and understand and certainly will not walk out. (laughs) So I'm going to read Romans 8. It's a little lengthy, but man, there's a lot of meat in here. So, let's start off. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Hey, we can go home now. That's pretty much big right there. We have no condemnation in Him, right? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me, meaning you, me, free from the law of sin and death. That's huge. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through flesh, God did by sending His own Son. Sorry. That's big, guys. He loves us so much, He almost bankrupt heaven. In the likeness of sinful flesh, in the account of sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. Keep going that the righteousness required of the law might be filled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, and those where those distractions live, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is in enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So it's like we're trying to connect dots that can never connect. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anything does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit in Him who raised, this is powerful, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. So that condemnation shouldn't live in your mind. To live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. We can come boldly to him, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, would join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, again, these distractions, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's powerful, guys. I mean, that's what Satan does not want us to know as Christians. What God has done for us. 
paid the price for us. So have you ever become overly whelmed, overly distracted? I would definitely hit up Romans 8. There is so much to be thankful for, just as we sung earlier, being a good, good father. I mean, just basking in that adoration and exalting, it is quite amazing. I've heard somebody say, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? And that's something to really live with. As Christians, we obviously have the Holy Spirit inside us, and He is really that guide who will guide us in truth. So that, you know, Romans, what we just read is great, but for some it's like, okay, well, how do I live in that more and more? Do I just read the scripture over and over? Well, faith comes by hearing, and that is vitally important. But in our modern religion sometimes, we kind of forget that it really boils down to a relationship with Christ. That's it. Right? We were created for His good pleasure. Think of that. If we were created for His good pleasure and we can rest in that, wouldn't He take care of you with everything you need? Wouldn't He dissipate and destroy any distractions that you have from that? So if I, am, if I know I have to be in a relationship with Christ, and I'm talking to Christians, you guys are mostly saved in this room, but it's about a relationship, Right? So how do I enhance that relationship? I'm done with formulas, three steps, this and that. Well, I mean, our best practice is how we relate with one another. But the real way to do it is to pursue Him daily. How as Christ followers can we say we're followers if we haven't committed to pursue? How? Uh, the author A.W. Token in The Pursuit of God, which is a phenomenal book, and a lot of our staff has been reading it. Token? Tozer, sorry. It starts with a T. Sorry. In that book, Pursuing God, obviously he's, he, he, he talks, the most, the most of the book is about pursuing. But there's one chapter where he talks about The reason why we have to pursue is, and we know this part, is our fallen human nature has this thing called a selfish veil over us. And that selfish veil keeps us from really seeing the one true God. And I believe, to expound on a little bit more, I think the material of that veil, the material is laced with sin, right? And in a lot of modern Christianity, I think that veil is very transparent in some churches because they can't even see it's even there. So how do we tear the veil? He talks about pursuing. That's how you do it. Consumer Christianity has God coming to us most of the time. Sounds pretty needy to me. You don't hear the word pursue a lot. 
Yes, he pursued us first. He did what he did on the cross, but now we've got to come to him. Obviously, James is a draw near to me and I will draw near to you, right? So in some of these churches, it's more consuming than pursuing, really. And it can be sad. Even the bold statement as a Christian, say we have a movie and it's called Your Life, right? As Christ followers, are we the star in the movie? No. (laughs) We're just a supporting cast member, (laughs) if anything. We are not the star in our movie. We were created for his good pleasure. There's a song, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it, but there is a song that really kind of hits that home. So I'm going to read it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth, they grow strangely dim. And those are the distractions, by the way, in the light of his glory and grace. So for some people that want to get further in a relationship to Christ and commit to pursuing, they may need to commit to the idea of being laser-like focused and disciplined with their time. Last time I checked, there's 24 hours in a day. We have no curveballs, really. And yes, life gets busy and you've got to manipulate different activities, but there's still 24 hours in a day. But for somebody who wants to begin getting deeper and deeper to that relationship and committing to pursue, you have to be disciplined. And how do you be disciplined in that and doing that pursuing? It's reading the Word of God. None of this is revelation. God provides all this knowledge of how to come to Him. Reading the Word of God, praying, worshiping, and even the scary term for some, serving. Because do you believe it or not, when you step out and serve, God moves mountains in your lives, believe it or not, because your focus is not on you anymore. Right? And eventually, what seemed like a discipline that you had to focus on, more sincerity comes out of your heart and more desire where you want to be doing this, not because you have to be doing that. And what's happening there is God's drawing closer to you there because you're getting revelation of Him. And that veil, that self-veil is tearing When I talk about focus, I can't not help do a football illustration. So, everybody knows football, right? But when you have the offensive side of the team come onto the field, their pursuit when they walk on that field is to get to the end zone. Pretty straightforward. Unfortunately, there's other guys on the other team in the way of that pursuit, right? And plenty of distractions. Linemen, after you say hike, running after you if you're a quarterback, looking to take you down. If you're on a away game, you have fans screaming against every play you do to distract you. The clock is ticking. You have those distractions as well. But good teams, let me think of one. Good teams, like the Patriots, right? Or Tom Brady, Learn to focus in on that pursuit of that goal line 
and are able to handle those distractions better than the other team, and then, therefore, they may win. Now, I tend to be an avid football fan, and I've crowned myself as a coach on the couch watching it on TV. So if I'm watching a game that's very close, which has been most of the last season with the Patriots, my perspective when the offensive line comes out is I'm immediately distracted on my couch of all the bad plays that probably happened during that game and saying, oh my gosh, Tom Brady threw two interceptions. He'll probably throw another one. There's only a minute and a half left on the clock. It's so, it must be so loud in that stadium. How can they even hear when he says hike? So all these distractions that I'm having sitting on the couch lead me to say, you know what, I'm prophesying, they can't do this. I know the Patriots, but it's going to be real hard. So now let's zoom in to Tom Brady in the same second I'm coaching from the couch. Do you think he's as worried as I am right now? No. Because you know why? He's focused on each play and not the big picture. Yes, he's focused on a clock ticking down. But if one play doesn't work, he gets back up to do the next play. And then the next play. And hopefully he is moving down with his offensive lineman closer to the goal line. And I say that to say this. As Christians, these distractions, when you might feel you took one step forward and two steps back, the reality is God has designed a new day Each day is a new day, like a new play. Get back on the field and start from wherever you left off. Because God will finish what He started every time. So it's really that diligence of focus. And don't let these other distractions pull you in. But it really starts with pursue. Making that commitment. Ooh, wow. I didn't know I could talk that long. I do want to show a very quick video. It's only two minutes because I think it very well describes better than I think I did tonight. Visually, thank you, visually of distractions and the art of needing to pursue. Mike, can you cue that? Do you have that? And then I'll come right back. Thank you. The way of the world. The familiar. The routine drifting toward the same ends, heading off in the distance, as if there was no other way. But when you meet Christ, you realize there's a different direction, a guide that invites you on a counter-cultural pilgrimage. You find a sweet harmony in conversation, in step with him. You realize the blessing that it is to be near to him. He asks you to drop everything, to follow the path toward him. And while the walk is certainly not without its challenges, you are not left unattended. But it's easy to lose focus. It may not be intentional, but if you're not disciplined to move, the gap can widen and you'll become used to your callousness. He desires to have you close, and you remember how pleasing it is. But the affairs of the world can become rather overwhelming, 
And there are times when you feel trapped. Times when you get preoccupied, distracted, pushed, pulled, bogged down. And you realize the instant that you're not actively moving toward him, you're moving away from him. Remember who called you to this journey and run to him. Well done. So pursue him. He loves you so much. And as you begin to discover that daily of really how much he loves you, it almost forms a new identity in yourself. Because everything you need, everything you want, really comes through Him. I wanted to um, hopefully be sensitive to the Spirit here. If we can kind of close our eyes for a minute. You know, throughout this short time, if something spoke to you, the Holy Spirit, or even if they didn't, let's focus in on that now, but are there any distractions Things that you may have not known are distractions. Or maybe they're so overwhelming to even diagnose it as a distraction. Just take a minute and let that whole, the Holy Spirit kind of bring that to your attention. This can be a place for some people that they're vulnerable in or lack of vulnerability. But there's so much power in vulnerability. <laughs> Because that's where healing begins. Sometimes we have these false religious distractions that say, oh, we can't, we got to fake it till we make it. But the reality is, God works in our vulnerability. And we need each other in that vulnerability sometimes. Because as I said, that's the beginning of healing. So, if, I mean, just quietly for a minute, if the Holy Spirit leads in any distractions. Let it bring it to your attention in your mind. Father God, we thank you for these amazing people in this room right now and how much you love them. Lord, and if there's distractions that have been brought to their attention, we claim in your name, in the name of Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, to overwhelm your people with peace. And through that, let your patience rule so you can work your perfect work in that. And be free from distractions. Lord, let people commit to even further to pursue you more than ever. So you can draw closer to them. In your name we pray, amen. I know most of you in this room, I think.